As most of you know, a couple of weeks ago I had the blessing to make a pilgrimage to Mount Athos in Greece. And one of the days that I was there, I had the opportunity to join a group of the monks who were harvesting olives. And after just having read this parable, this famous parable of the sower, it's natural for me to recall that beautiful October day. It was a warmly pleasant day under the clear blue sky on the side of a mountain in northern Greece overlooking a wine-dark sea as I was harvesting olives with these monks. Because I was standing among very old olive trees that I'm sure had produced much more than a hundredfold fruit in the time that they have been producing olives. Most of us are familiar with the parable of the sower. We hear about the fate of four different kinds of seeds, some who fall by the roadside and are trampled underfoot and are stolen away by the devil, some that fall on rocky ground, spring up quickly but wither under the heat because they have no root, they have no room to grow, and have no moisture, some that fall upon thorns or among thorns and thistles and are choked as they grow and bear no fruit, and some that fall on good soil. And the Lord interprets this parable for us. He gives us a model, in fact, in this parable in how to interpret the other parables. And we hear very clearly from him that this message, this story, this parable is about the sort of life we live. It's about the state of our hearts. But as I was reflecting on this parable, I think it can also speak to us about the lies we might believe about God and about his word. And we have to be very careful, brothers and sisters, about the stories we tell ourselves about God's Word and what we choose to believe about God's Word. I would submit to you that the seed that falls by the roadside represents, unfortunately, a very common reality among us, which would be the distracted mind. We have all kinds of traffic going through our minds, whether that's coming to us from our phones or from some other place. And the message of God, the message of the gospel, his word can get lost. And perhaps the lie that we might tell ourselves if we are in that place, on that trampled ground, is that ah, God's word is not interesting enough for me. I need other stimulation to keep me interested And then, of course, we have the rocky soil, which may represent those of us who struggle with a certain hardness of heart. And perhaps the lie we believe about God's Word is that it's just too difficult. It's just too difficult to understand. It's just too difficult to keep. And you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth the suffering. It's not worth the struggle that it takes to keep that Word, to take it seriously. And perhaps the lie that we believe if we fall among the thorns, if we are deceived in our desires, is that the Word of God isn't really going to make you happy. 
What's going to really make you happy are all these beautiful gifts in life. What's really going to make you happy is your wife or your husband, your children, your grandchildren, having a boat and going out on the lake, taking really cool vacations like going to Greece. That's what's going to really make you happy. And so I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to consider today, toward which of those lies are you most tempted? It's not interesting enough. It's too difficult and not worth the struggle. Or it's not really going to make you happy. And as you reflect on that, I encourage you all to cry out to God, both today and throughout the week, Lord, have mercy on me. Enlighten my darkness. Help me, save me from the lie I might be believing about you and about your word. At the end of the few hours when we were working on the side of that mountain on Manathos, I experienced a moment that felt like a scene from Middle Earth. All of these monks look like dwarfs. They have these big bosky beards. And, and we had a little bit of a, a break. We had a little snack. And they were like slicing hunks of cheese and tossing that at each other and, and bread. And it was a very monastic fraternity moment. And there was a, it was a beautiful moment. We were all you know sweating and tired from, from the work. And we had this beautiful moment there where everyone was very joyful and peaceful and you felt a beautiful brotherhood. And I thought, what a beautiful example these men give us because they have decided to take themselves off the road so that the word of God will not be trampled and stolen by any devil by taking themselves out of the world and putting themselves in a monastery. That's not the life for all of us, but I think we can learn from their example. And it's very clear that they're focused on cleansing themselves of their sins and passions, the kind that make the soil of our hearts hard, that they live a life of repentance, of tears, so that the soil of their heart can hold the moisture that will cause the growth of the Word of God. And they've renounced all the cares and concerns of life. They don't own anything. They've renounced the responsibility of taking care of, of, of a family because all those things would choke the Word of God and choke its growth. And I think we can learn from their example. And in many of them, as I was observing them, I've seen that this effort has, with God's grace, produced the fruit of virtues in their life. They have a joy and a peace among them that is tangible. So I hope that through the prayers of those monks of Atopedi and the prayers of the Holy Fathers of the Seventh Ecumenical Council, whom we remember today, and through the prayers of all the saints, that God would give us the grace to hunger and thirst for truth, who is a person, and who can dispel the darkness of any lie that we might be tempted to believe about him and his life-giving word.